Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Update on Soft Tissue Sarcoma. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations, as well as the Sarcoma Alliance and the Sarcoma Coalition um, and the Sarcoma Foundation of America. I really want to thank all of the groups for working together um, to make this program um, possible. Um, and, um, and the National Leomyosarcoma Leo Foundation as well. So um, wonderful resources for everybody on the call. Um, we have on the program today over 250 participants. You come from all of the United States, um, and uh, so from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have participants from Bangladesh, Canada, Iraq, Japan, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a global call as well. And we really want to thank you for taking the time to join us for this call today. Today's program is supported by ISI, Inc. and the Diana Napoli Fund. I really want to thank them for their support of this program. And uh, we have wonderful speakers on the program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Priscilla Miriam, and Dr. Miriam is a physician, medical oncology, Center for Sarcoma and Bone Oncology, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, instructor in medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Mel Dr. Miriam is going to be addressing an overview of soft tissue sarcoma, current standard of care and new treatment approaches, side effect and pain management, and key questions to ask your healthcare team. It's my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Miriam. Dr. Messner, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you, everyone who is participating today. Uh, you may hear I have a little bit of a hoarse voice, so I'm trying to project, but I apologize if there's anything that, that you don't hear. Um, so I'm going to provide today or discuss uh, an overview in general of soft tissue sarcomas. I'm going to discuss some standard of care and new treatment approaches from a medical oncology standpoint or a, a medication standpoint. I'm going to discuss some side effect and pain management considerations and also give you some um, questions which I think are really important to make sure that you discuss with your healthcare team. So as you know, sarcomas are rare. They are um, account for less than 1% of cancers in adults. And in the United States, every year, there are about 16,000 new cases of, of sarcoma. So overall, that is a really rare type of, of cancer. They are very, very heterogeneous, which means that there are many types of sarcoma. Just saying that you have a sarcoma doesn't tell the entire story, because we know there are more than 50 or 100 kinds of sarcomas, depending how you break it down. And each type of sarcoma may have very different characteristics, may behave very differently, and may respond differently to medications or treatments. Sarcomas arise from cells in the body that normally would become connective tissue or supportive tissue type cells, like fat cells or muscle cells. Sarcomas are a cancerous version of that. So you'll hear about fat sarcomas, like liposarcoma, or bone sarcomas, such as osteosarcoma. 
Because connective tissues can be found all over the body, sarcomas can start anywhere in the body. As opposed to other types of cancers, for example, lung cancer starts in the lung or colon cancer, which starts in the colon. I'm going to speak generally about um, the uh, care of, of sarcomas, uh, about systemic and medical therapies, and then I'll turn it over to Dr. Delaney, who will be speaking about radiation oncology, radiation treatment options, and Dr. Molinex, who is our surgery expert. One thing that I really like about our call today is that we have um, uh, representatives from uh, different types of specialties, from medical oncology, medicine expert, radiation expert, and a surgeon expert. And that's how we like to work in a multidisciplinary model. That's the best way, in fact, if possible, to take care of people with sarcoma. So when a sarcoma is limited to one area in your body, your team may recommend surgery alone to remove the sarcoma, or may recommend the addition of radiation or chemotherapy either before or after surgery. The decision to rec recommend chemotherapy or radiation will depend on factors such as the type of sarcoma you have, the location of the sarcoma, and sometimes features of your sarcoma that are observed on pathology review. There are some people whose sarcoma comes back after they've had surgery, or there are people who, when the sarcoma is found, it's found in multiple areas of the body at one time. And for these individuals, medical treatments like chemotherapy might be the most appropriate place to start. In terms of drugs that um, are available for, uh, or that can treat people who have metastatic sarcoma or sarcoma in multiple places in the body, or unresectable sarcoma, which means sarcoma that is not felt uh, safe to remove by surgery, there are many treatments that we have to treat sarcoma uh, in this situation. Doxorubicin, which is a type of chemotherapy, is generally considered one of our standard first-line treatments for many types of sarcomas. But this is where really understanding what the subtype or the type, specific type of sarcoma that you have is critical because while doxorubicin may be an appropriate treatment for many types of sarcoma, it may not be the starting place for all types of sarcomas. Gemcitabine is also a type of chemotherapy. It could also be considered a starting place or first choice for a chemotherapy drug, uh, either alone or in combination with another chemotherapy drug. There's a medication called pazopinib, which is an oral medication, which is very useful for many types of uh, sarcomas. We know it does not seem to have the effect in liposarcoma that we see in other types of sarcomas, but it can do an excellent job at stabilizing the growth of sarcoma. A chemotherapy um, <clears throat> called trebectidin is an intravenous medication that may be particularly helpful for people who have leiomyosarcoma or liposarcoma, but it may play a role for other types of sarcomas as well. Aribulin is also a chemotherapy drug. This is specifically approved by the FDA for liposarcomas, but from a large study that was done evaluating aribulin in individuals with liposarcoma and leiomyosarcoma, in practice we think that there may be a role as well for leiomyosarcomas. <clears throat> for certain types of sarcomas, we know that there, there exist oral medications that are designed to target a specific genetic change in a tumor such as medications that we use to treat gastrointestinal stromal tumors. For example, <clears throat> just within this past month, there has been approval of a new drug for gastrointestinal stromal tumor called avapritinib. Um, it is approved for a specific type of gastrointestinal stromal tumor that's characterized by a very particular genetic change in the tumor. 
Also within the last month, there was approval of a new drug called Tazmetastat, which is an oral medication that targets epithelioid sarcoma, which is a rare type of soft tissue sarcoma. There are no FDA approvals right now for any type of for any immunotherapy drugs, but there are ongoing clinical trials to help us figure out what role immunotherapy may play for sarcomas. Moving on to symptom management, it's really important when your team proposes a treatment plan to discuss in advance what symptoms you might experience with that proposed treatment. Different potential side effects from different treatments like chemotherapy, oral medicines, radiation or surgery may vary. Having this discussion in advance may help you prepare for how to manage expected side effects from, from the treatment. It can be helpful to ask your, your medical team if there are specialists uh, who are expert in managing symptoms. These experts are often called palliative care um, uh, experts or a palliative care service, and these individuals have specific training in managing symptoms related either to cancer or to the treatment of cancer. We know that uh, patients who report symptoms frequently uh, to keep their medical team up to date may actually, there's some data that suggests that, that these individuals may actually do better with their treatment, and that frequent feedback is, is very important for your, your medical team that wants to help treat you and make sure that we can manage side effects as they arise. There are many approaches to symptom management. It's not just pain medication. Sometimes it might involve oral medications, but sometimes this could involve a topical treatment sometimes an injection, and other things like massage or exercise are very important in management of uh, sarcomas or of the treatments that we might be using for, uh, for sarcoma. So I'd like to, to give you some questions that I think are really critical to make sure that you've discussed with your healthcare team. As, as I've already alluded to several times during um, uh, this call, it's really important that you ask, what kind of sarcoma do I have? Different types of sarcomas, as I mentioned, may behave very differently and may need different types of treatments. For example, we know that the treatment of osteosarcoma is very different from the treatment of leiomyosarcoma. I would ask, has my tumor been examined by a pathologist who is experienced in diagnosing sarcomas? This is critical to help confirm first that it is sarcoma. These can be very challenging for pathologists to diagnose who don't see many sarcomas. And also, it's important to understand the type of sarcoma you have. Dr. Merlinex will talk a little bit more about this in his portion of the call. It's critical to ask your team, where is the sarcoma? And also to understand what your team is hoping to achieve with the type of treatment that they're recommending. You need to understand what the goal is to help you make the decisions that are right for you. And then finally, I will always urge people to ask whether there are any clinical trials that might be right for you. Clinical trials are such an important part of our learning about sarcomas, how to um, improve our treatment of sarcomas, and in the care of, of people with sarcomas. I, I'm always looking at every stage of, of uh, when I'm taking care of, of someone is to look to see if there's an, a clinical trial that might be an option <clears throat> at the beginning of your treatment. Um, after your first treatment, at whatever point in your treatment, clinical trials can play a very important role, and I would urge you to ask your team if any clinical trials might be appropriate for you. I'll finish there, and I will transition to my, um, to my colleagues, and I thank you very much for listening to me, and um, I will uh, be available at the end for questions. Thank you. 
Oh, thank you so so much, Dr. Miriam. That was really outstanding, and um, thank you. And I know there'll be questions for you during um, during the Q and A. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Thomas Delaney, and Dr. Delaney is Andres Soriano, Professor of Radiation Oncology, Harvard Medical School, Radiation Oncologist, Department of Radiation Oncology, Associate Medical Director, Francis H. Burr Proton Therapy Center, Co-Director, Center for Sarcoma and Connective Tissue Oncology, Massachusetts General Hospital. And Dr. Delaney is going to be addressing the role of radiation oncology, types of radiation treatments, clinical trials, how research contributes to your treatment options, and follow-up care. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Delaney. Radiation treatment for many patients with sarcomas. Uh, radiation therapy refers to the use of focused, uh, high-energy x-rays or other particles to kill cancer cells. <clears throat> a doctor who specializes in giving radiation therapy to treat cancer is referred to as a radiation oncologist. And for patients who are uh, going to be treated for sarcomas, most of you will meet with a radiation oncologist uh, often at the time of the initial evaluation for treatment. Radiation is often used in conjunction with surgery for the treatment of sarcoma at the site of what we refer to as the primary tumor, where the tumor arose, because there's frequently microscopic extension beyond the visible tumor. If one were to try to do more radical surgery to remove more tissue to get these uh, microscopic cells, there, this is often associated or can be associated uh, with a worse functional outcome, for example, uh, in uh, tumors that arise uh, in the extremities or the limbs. Um, in addition, uh, surgery to obtain adequate margins around the tumor may not even be possible in some locations, such as the head and neck or what's referred to as the retroperitoneum, the, uh, the back of the abdomen. Uh, since sarcoma is rare, it's very important to talk with a radiation oncologist uh, who has experience in treating patients with sarcomas on a regular basis. Uh, because the radiation doses we use to kill microscopic tumor cells are lower than uh, the doses that would be required to, to remove visible tumor, the combination of the removal of the visible tumor by the surgeon in conjunction with radiation uh, at a dose that can sterilize microscopic tumor uh, is a, a very uh, rational strategy to control the tumor and, in fact, results in the local control of the tumor at the primary site in the majority of uh, uh, most patients and uh, the majority of patients who have uh, sarcomas that arise in the arms or the legs. Uh, that being said, there are also some sarcomas uh, generally in the thigh and often uh, of a less aggressive um, uh, pathologic type um, that can be adequately treated with surgery with a, with a wide margin, and Dr. Mullinex can discuss that uh, uh, during his discussion. Uh, such patients uh, uh, may not need uh, radiation. They can just be effectively treated with surgery alone. And in addition, as I mentioned, there are some patients with uh, sarcomas in some locations, such as the, the head and neck or uh, near the spine, where it's difficult uh, to do a good surgical procedure. And in fact, one may just treat the local primary tumor site with uh, radiation alone at, at a higher dose, uh, often using sophisticated radiation techniques. Uh, the most common kind of radiation uh, that's used is called external beam radiation. It's uh, delivered uh, by a machine called the linear accelerator. Um, radiation for sarcomas can also be given um, by placing radiation sources uh, into the tumor, and that's referred to as uh, brachytherapy. Most of the external beam uh, radiation schedules are, are given um, daily over, over five to seven weeks. Uh, we often do radiation therapy before the surgery to try to sterilize the tumor cells 
uh, at the edge of the visible tumor uh, prior to surgery. And this can allow for smaller radiation fields and uh, lower doses. Um, as Dr. Mary mentioned, uh, for some patients, we will combine uh, radiation with uh, chemotherapy, for example, some large, uh, large sarcomas. Uh, in some cases, radiation treatments uh, will allow the surgeon to do a less aggressive uh, surgical procedure, uh, provides the opportunity uh, to spare uh, nerves and uh, more muscle to improve the function of the uh, arm or the leg where the tumor arises. Uh, because radiation therapy uh, can also affect uh, normal cells, we make every effort to focus the radiation treatment just around the tumor. And that fortunately also means that any side effects that are experienced are really localized to the area that's uh, being treated. In addition, newer radiation techniques over the last 15 years have improved our ability to treat the tumor while sparing normal tissue. And these include techniques that you may have heard of called intensity modulated radiation therapy, as well as proton radiation therapy. Intensity modulated radiation therapy uses many small beams of uh, radiation that are modified um, as they pass through the head of the treatment machine, and they allow one to contour the radiation uh, quite uh, closely around the tumor with less uh, dose to the normal tissues abutting the tumor. Uh, and as a, as, a, as a result, there are fewer side effects with radiation now than there were in the past. So general side effects from radiation therapy can include some mild fatigue and generally mild skin reactions. Um, other more specific side effects that are related to the, the area of the body that's being treated um, are, uh, can be discussed with the radiation oncologist uh, as you are discussing the treatment plan. And the radiation oncologist will, will discuss both what are called short-term uh, potential side effects such as skin reaction or, or fatigue, and then potential uh, risk for late effects if critical normal tissues such as a nerve um, or bowel are in close proximity to the tumor as there's some, uh, as with most treatments, some uh, risk of potential side effects to normal tissues that are uh, near the, the radiation treatment beam. And as I mentioned, I would encourage uh, patients to talk to their doctor about the potential risks and benefits of, uh, of any of the treatments, but specifically uh, the radiation therapy. One uh, unfortunate uh, side effect of radiation therapy can be the, um, uh, the development of a second tumor related to the radiation therapy that's being uh, delivered. This is fortunately an extremely rare uh, side effect, but it is one that uh, we uh, think about as we follow patients after treatment. An increasingly uh, um, available radiation treatment uh, technique is called proton beam radiation. Uh, the protons uh, have no exit dose uh, beyond the target, so they radiate uh, less normal tissue uh, than conventional radiation techniques. And uh, they may have a role, particularly for younger patients uh, who have large sarcomas. Uh, some of the patients and families may have heard of a radiation technique called brachytherapy. This um, uses radiation seeds that are placed in close proximity uh, to the tumor. This usually 
starts uh, in the operating room, where in conjunction with uh, surgery, some plastic tubes are placed uh, into the tumor bed, and then uh, starting about four or five days after radiation, after the surgical procedure, uh, the patients uh, come down to the radiation therapy department uh, uh, daily, uh, once or twice a day for four to five days, and small radiation seeds are um, uh, electronically uh, placed into these plastic tubes to deliver the radiation treatment uh, to the tumor. This is a very uh, localized uh, form of uh, radiation treatment that's available at some specialized uh, treatment centers. Uh, another uh, specialized radiation technique is called intraoperative radiation, where uh, radiation uh, machine is in the operating room and uh, can be a very effective uh, tool to deliver radiation to an area such as in the abdomen where you can move uh, uh, sensitive normal tissue such as the bowel uh, out of the way of the tumor. In the past few years, we've also begun to use what's called stereotactic radiation. This is a highly focused radiation treatment technique where beams are focused usually on tumors that might have spread to the lung or the liver, delivering one to five treatments over one to two weeks. And this can be an alternative to surgical removal of tumors that have spread to these locations. In the last couple of minutes, I'll just uh, echo uh, what Dr. Miriam had mentioned about uh, clinical trials. Um, while the, the local treatments for uh, uh, soft tissue sarcomas uh, have resulted in excellent local control of the tumor, uh, patients who have large and what we call aggressive or high-grade tumors uh, are at uh, risk for spread of tumor elsewhere. Uh, Conventional chemotherapy uh, approaches to date have shown only modest uh, benefit for <clears throat> the majority of patients. So uh, new uh, uh, clinical trials uh, are underway to evaluate uh, what are referred to as targeted uh, chemotherapy uh, approaches uh, aimed at uh, dysregulated cell growth pathways uh, as well as um, immunotherapy approaches that can be uh, combined with uh, radiation therapy and surgery to try to improve uh, the outcome for patients. Um, in fact, it would be uh, great to have more clinical trials open uh, for sarcoma patients uh, because uh, sarcomas are rare. At times, it can be challenging for uh, investigators uh, to, in fact, get uh, funding to support uh, clinical trials uh, for uh, new research ideas. So we're always uh, encouraging uh, investigators and uh, 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 philanthropists to uh, try to uh, support uh, clinical trials in uh, any way that we can. Uh, the last uh, point I want to uh, discuss uh, uh, before I turn the, uh, the microphone over to Dr. Mullinax, who's going to address the, address the role of surgery, is the role of follow-up care and cancer survivorship. Uh, after the completion of treatment, uh, follow-up care uh, may include physical therapy, uh, rehabilitation to optimize uh, limb functions for, for patients who have uh, tumors uh, in the arms or the legs. And we also perform what's called surveillance uh, care. Uh, this is uh, regularly scheduled ongoing monitoring that's done uh, every three months for the first couple of years and then every three to six months out to five years and then often uh, once a year thereafter where we use a combination of physical exam, uh, imaging of the primary site, as well as uh, CAT scans to, uh, to determine if the tumor uh, remains uh, uh, in place or whether the, the tumor has, uh, has been locally controlled or whether there's been uh, any evidence of uh, tumor spread uh, beyond uh, the, the primary site of uh, uh, treatment to uh, either the, the lungs or the liver. Um, at this point, I think I'll turn the, the microphone over to Dr. Mullinax, who's going to discuss the role of surgery. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Delaney.
and our next speaker is uh, Dr. John Mullinex. Dr. Mullinex is Assistant Member, Surgical Oncology, Sarcoma Department, Moffitt Cancer Center. Um, and Dr. Um, Mullinex will be addressing the role of surgery in the treatment of soft tissue sarcoma, the importance of the pathology report, pain management, and quality of life concerns. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, uh, Dr. Mullinex. Thank you, Dr. Messner. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak with everyone today about uh, my portion of the program. So I'd like to sort of present um, the, the interaction between the patient and the surgeon related to soft tissue sarcoma and sort of a chronologic uh, uh, set of events here. Um, I think, you know, first thinking about what to do before your consultation with the surgeon, it's, it's variable in terms of which member of the team the patient will see first, whether it's a medical oncologist or a surgeon. But as you visit with different members of the, of the care team, there are some things to think about in preparation for that consultation um, that can make it more beneficial. And first, I think, you know, in terms of seeing uh, the surgeon, the patient having a, uh, an accurate timeline of what's been done prior to that consultation, things such as imaging uh, modalities, biopsies that have been performed, um, labs, if pertinent, um, pathology reports from the prior biopsies. These are all important things to have, and, and a timeline is very helpful. Um, oftentimes when patients are seen in the clinic, several things have been done by several different physicians, and so it's nice uh, to have that all put together so that, that a discussion can take place regarding what, what can happen from that point in time on. I think also an important thing before visiting with uh, a surgeon is is looking uh, at their background, which is very easily done now uh, using the Internet when you are referred by, by your primary care provider or another specialist. I think of, uh, evaluating uh, the, the surgeon that you're to see regarding their training and uh, fellowship. Um, they should be a, a trained surgical oncologist, someone who sees patients uh, with, with cancer and operates either solely or mostly on patients uh, with cancer, certainly with soft tissue sarcoma. Um, finding a, a surgical oncologist that focuses their practice on soft tissue sarcoma or a component of that is something that will be most beneficial as well, though um, that, can, that can certainly require some travel. Um, uh, it's important to understand if that surgeon practices in a multidisciplinary practice. You're seeing today uh, conversations between a radiation oncologist, a medical oncologist, and a surgical oncologist, and you want that emulated in your treatment team uh, certainly those that practice under the same institution among those specialties is, is most helpful as, as your care can be delivered most efficiently. Um, I think the day of your initial visit with the surgeon, there are, there are a few things that, that can be helpful in uh, making that visit um, uh, more beneficial. Uh, first, any imaging that you've had prior, um, bring the CD of that imaging. It's oftentimes reports are faxed, uh, but the reports can't tell the full story of, of, of the lesion in question and, and what you're there to discuss. So certainly having the imaging on a CD uh, is most helpful. Um, some are sent, but oftentimes they are not sent ahead of your visit. Um, I think if you had prior biopsies, bringing the pathology report from those biopsies is helpful. Um, there are sometimes uh, subtle uh, comments within the pathology report that can be helpful even if the prior biopsy was non-diagnostic, which is often the case. I think other, uh, other operations that you may have had if you were presenting with recurrent disease or a tumor that's come back, um, it would be helpful to have the operative notes if, if you're able to obtain those, but certainly where you had those prior operations and what hospital and what year are helpful uh, in that assessment. 
I think we talked earlier about a timeline, and I think really that's the key is what, what is the timeline of your care up to the evaluation with that surgeon. If you see that surgeon and on the first visit, um, the, the first comment is, 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 you know, recommending surgery right away, I think you need to step back and ask if there are other options and whether your case will be discussed at a tumor board and why or why not. Oftentimes, uh, surgery, while certainly uh, a mainstay of treatment for localized soft tissue sarcoma, should be delivered uh, with a care plan that at least considers the other modalities of treatment, such as uh, medical oncology and radiation oncology that you've heard about before me. So I think understanding from your surgeon how your, your planned surgical resection fits in with those other modalities of treatment is, is really essential. Um, I think one thing that's important to know is that first visit with the surgeon, you may not have a final plan, and that's okay, uh, maybe even preferable. Oftentimes there are tests, imaging, um, biopsy review, et cetera, things that need to be done before a final plan can be, uh, can be sort of recommended. And I think that understanding that going in is helpful. Oftentimes patients are disappointed when they don't have a final plan, but as I tell them, it's much more important um, to get the, get the treatment plan right than to do it, than to do it quickly. I think in terms of when, when you do come down to the, the opportunity to discuss the specific resection that, that your surgeon is planning for you, there's a few few common uh, things that you should ask and be aware of. First, I think, as I said before, how does it relate to other planned treatment, whether it's radiation or chemotherapy, and how will those change your resection and, and potentially the, the morbidity or, or the expected um, uh, recovery period after your operation? For example, with those patients that have radiation before surgery certainly have a higher incidence of a wound problem, and so understanding that ahead of time is something that you can be prepared for. I think the other question should ask is, uh, what, it, what is your post-operative course like? What, are you expected to go home? Will you need rehab? Uh, are you going to be in the hospital for two days, overnight, seven days? How, what does that post-operative course look like? Understanding all of these things before your resection is important so that your expectations are set, um, and, and understanding the team in terms of the, the, the other team members like physical therapy, occupational therapy, the social work, nutrition, home services, how does this work? How is this going to fit into my uh, my care plan? Oftentimes, patients, when they're they're planning for a big operation, it's helpful to review your your insurance plan to understand what those benefits might be. Certainly, after your operation, you're not uh, in a in a situation where you where you're able to make those changes or understand really what your benefits might be. So, knowing that ahead of time and and understanding that could be helpful. Ultimately, the day of surgery and the resection, I think there's a couple key things that we need to talk about. First is the, the key with any soft tissue sarcoma is certainly a complete resection. This can take many forms, and I think, it, we, as I tell patients, this depends on that diagnosis, which is really so crucial. Um, depending on the, the specific subtype and the, uh, the grade of that tumor, uh, the extent of surgery uh, will, be, will be prescribed. And I think certainly a wide resection is, is favored uh, for all high-grade um, histologies, but a marginal resection for a low-grade tumor oftentimes uh, to, to avoid the sacrifice of, of, a, of a functional structure is, is certainly key. And I think having that understanding that a marginal resection can certainly be okay for low-grade disease in certain situations, depending on the diagnosis, to avoid uh, significant morbidity. Um, as you know, sarcoma occurs anywhere throughout the body, but certainly those that occur within the retroperitoneum, which is the back portion of the abdomen or the pelvis, can be difficult cases. Uh, these can often require multiple teams, 
for those patients that have a bony lesion within the pelvis, a hemipelvectomy uh, should require a team of surgeons, and you should meet with all of them to understand their component of the operation. A common question I get is regarding a frozen section intraoperatively. Uh, most of the time, a frozen section for soft tissue sarcoma is not uh, as reliable as it might be for other more common cancer subtypes, and so oftentimes we don't use a frozen section, but certainly having that discussion with your surgeon before surgery um, is, is something that you should discuss. After the resection and recovery, the pathology report is really the focus of, of the outcome from your surgery. I think um, the few things to discuss regarding that pathology report. First, regarding biopsies. Um, so, so outside biopsies or biopsies that are performed before you see that surgeon where you're ultimately going to get your treatment should be reviewed at the location where you're going to have your operation. A lot of times these diagnoses can be changed or clarified, which is more often the case. Um, the, the outside diagnosis, given that these are rare malignancies, will often have more of a descriptive term rather than a specific diagnosis understand that it may require a second biopsy um, and, and that the second biopsy or even the first biopsy can have a, a, have a rate of a non-diagnosis or meaning a non, not producing a result of about 15%. And that's okay, I think, to understand that going in can avoid some disappointment along the course. After the resection and the primary tumor is removed, there are some very important things in the pathology report that are going to dictate the care that you receive going forward. Uh, first is the subtype of that tumor, confirming, of course, that it's in line with that, that preoperative biopsy, the grade of the tumor, high, intermediate, or low grade, and then certainly the margins, which will dictate uh, the, the, the risk of local recurrence or the tumor uh, coming back where it started. The questions need to be, what's next for me? Is there adjuvant therapy? Adjuvant therapy means therapy that you receive after surgery. Should I see a medical or radiation oncologist if I haven't before, and if not, why not? And I think these are discussions to have with your surgeon uh, if you haven't seen uh, one of those team members before. What does your surveillance schedule look like and who, is going, who am I going to follow with? Surveillance is very important. It shouldn't be that you have an operation and you recover and, and go on. I think you need to be followed by someone, whether that's your surgeon or a, a team member on the surgical team. That schedule needs to be defined uh, when you review that pathology report after you've recovered for your, from your operation. Moving on to talk about pain management, I think, again, this should be something that's in the preoperative discussion uh, for, for extremity um, uh, soft tissue sarcomas. Oftentimes, a block is, inner, is used and a nerve block uh, can be very effective and actually decrease the amount of the, the general anesthetic medication that you need during that resection. For abdominal cases, we often use an epidural, which is a, a technique that's used uh, certainly for uh, labor and delivery, but we can leave an epidural catheter, which allows for efficient delivery of both narcotic and local anesthetic rather than an intravenous uh, course of opioids. Um, a patient-controlled analgesia, or a PCA, is a standard uh, uh, really today in any, any patient that is not able to take oral medications after surgery. The PCA can be used both with an epidural or intravenous opioids, um, and it provides very effective uh, pain control while limiting the amount of opioids. Other adjuncts such as IV Tylenol or Toradol, which is essentially an IV uh, NSAID, uh, muscle relaxants, these can be used to decrease the amount of overall opioid um, after, after your resection. Certainly less opioids are better for lots of reasons, but most uh, specifically the, the more opioids that are on board, oftentimes the slower recovery of your, of your bowels after surgery, which can, which can increase your hospital stay. 
I think finally talking about quality of life concerns relating to, to the resection and, and the entire treatment plan, I think you need to think about fitting some of these in with certainly with life goals and events. So for example, if you have a low grade uh, connective tissue tumor uh, that, that can be planned on an elective schedule, certainly things such as the wedding of a child or your, your child is graduating from college, these things can be planned around that. If it's a high grade tumor that's much more aggressive and requires more urgent treatment, certainly these things may need to be, uh, uh, you know, changed, but I think having a discussion with your surgeon about how can this fit in with my goals and, and my life events is, is important. I think also in terms of your follow-up, oftentimes patients um, uh, prefer to be followed between locations. I, I live in Florida, and so we certainly have a large population that travels between uh, uh, states up north and, and here in the winter. And so having a plan, you know, can, you know, asking your surgeon, do you know anyone where I, where I have a second home? Can I follow there half of the time? I think these are all ways that you can be very involved in your surveillance schedule um, and, and certainly avoid stress of traveling, you know, hundreds of miles just for a CT scan and a, and a 30 minute clinic visit. Finally, talking about special populations in terms of quality of life concerns, one population that's especially pertinent with the sarcoma um, community is the adolescent young adult population. As we know, soft tissue sarcomas can affect patients at all age groups, and this age group between the teenage years and the early 40s is an especially vulnerable population as it's, uh, there are often very uh, large life events that happen around the time of the cancer diagnosis. There are special needs for this population, and many soft tissue sarcoma programs have an AYA coordinator or an AYA team, and discussing that with, with your surgeon and the rest of the members of your team is, is important to understand how that can, how that can be helpful for you. So with that, I'll close and uh, turn it back over to Dr. Messner for questions. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Mullenix. That was really excellent, very outstanding, and I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Before we take questions, I just want to say a few words about the services that people can access from Cancer Care. Um, so Cancer Care does offer um, really psychosocial support to people living with uh, soft tissue sarcoma and with all types of cancers. And that includes really the opportunity to talk with one of our oncology social workers and also to access financial and practical assistance. So, um, and that's available to people nationally um, throughout the United States. Um, and so the particular services to access from an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, which are social workers who really focus specifically on working with people with soft tissue sarcoma or cancers, would be the chance to really talk with a social worker on the telephone or online um, about your particular concerns and questions as they affect you both personally and emotionally and practically and socially as well. And um, it also includes joining, uh, for some people it means joining a support group, either a telephone support group or an online support group. And for others it may mean um, just getting just some very practical and financial assistance and help with perhaps transportation or uh, help with um, the cost of um, transportation for treatment or, um, or, or home care or child care services. In addition, those services also can include helping you to find local resources that could be helpful to you um, that would be a great resource to you in terms of your coping with your, cancer, with your sarcoma or your cancer. And as I mentioned before, we are partnering with a number of uh, four different sarcoma organizations, and they're a wonderful resource to you as well. Um, we also do have many of these programs coming up, of course, lots of programs, and we also do have um, uh, many publications that you can access as well. 
So with that being said, um, we do now have time for questions, and we'd like to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And you can actually ask your questions either on the telephone or online, and I'm going to ask Norma to explain to you how to queue up for questions. And again, we're going to try to take as many as, of your questions as, you, as we can, and if we don't get your question, I will then explain to you how to um, uh, get some of your questions answered if we don't, don't get to them. Norma? Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Stephanie Kay. Your line is open. Yes, thank you so much, Caroline. As usual, this is an excellent seminar. I am a nurse and a social worker, and I have a question. I had a friend with leiomyosarcoma years ago. I'd like to know more about today. I know several other people I have met in cancer support groups that have leiomyosarcoma. I'd like to know more about today's prognosis. I'm glad to hear there's some new medications. Years ago there was not, and leiomyosarcoma was really more rare and considered a lower percentage of uh, prognosis. I'd like to know much more, if I can, more about the leiomyosarcoma. Thank you so much. Well, thank you um, for that question, Stephanie. I'm going to ask... um, Dr. Miriam, she can just address your question in a general way, actually, and then, of course, we will um, sort of encourage your, um, you know, your your colleague and friend to um, contact, speak specifically to their physician about some of the oh, particular details. But um, I'm going to ask Dr. Miriam, she can just address a bit about leomyosarcoma and its uh, treatments, and um, if you could do that, Dr. Um, Dr. Miriam. Absolutely. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that question. So leiomyosarcoma is uh, actually one of the more common types of sarcomas. We sarcoma specialists see many patients with leiomyosarcoma, and as I mentioned, they can arise anywhere in the body. Uh, they can arise in the uterus. That's a, a frequent place that we see it. Um, for women who have uterine sarcoma, it's the most common type of a uterine sarcoma. And it can arise elsewhere in the body. It can arise in the arms or the legs. Sometimes even it can arise out of the wall of one of the large blood vessels in the body. One thing that's important to um, to know is that um, the type of leiomyosarcoma can have a, a really big influence on in how we expect it to behave. There are some people who have what we would call low-grade leiomyosarcomas, which may behave in um, a very quiet way. Individuals who have what looks like more like a high-grade leiomyosarcoma may have more of an aggressive behavior. We do have um, many types of treatments for leiomyosarcoma. When I think about treatments, of course, I think of, of my own specialty, which is medication treatment, but I do also always include my colleagues, my surgical oncology and my radiation oncology colleagues, because it may be that if I'm taking care of someone who has does have active leiomyosarcoma, but only one area is changing or only one area is causing trouble or some symptoms like pain, I may ask my radiation or my surgery colleagues to consider whether they think that they might be um, able to offer a treatment that might um, might be helpful and that individual may not need to have any kind of medical therapy. Often, you know, you, you may want to ask your doctor if you have leiomyosarcoma or any sarcoma to talk about when do I need treatment? Do I need medicine treatment? Or is it possible to simply just watch my cancer to see how it's behaving? That can be very important to, to get that type of information, and not everyone needs treatment at every time. The good news is that I really do think of, of us as having a number of treatments for leiomyosarcoma, 
So, uh, you know, sometimes people will come to me for a consultation and they say, you know, I, I read on the Internet that there's nothing, nothing helps leiomyosarcoma. My response, at least internally, is always, where is this information coming from? Because in my experience, that's not at all the case. In general, it's important to have the expectation that medical therapy for sarcoma is not typically expected for most sarcomas. There are some that this um, is not true, but for the most sarcomas, medical therapy is not expected to make the sarcoma completely disappear. It, most commonly, for most types of sarcomas, it may stabilize or shrink the sarcoma slightly or slow the growth. There are a couple sarcomas, such as Ewing sarcoma or rhabdomyosarcoma, that there may be more dramatic types of treatments. Um, but in general, it's an, um, that's important to know, and I think that might be part of, of where that, um, that what I consider misunderstanding comes from. But I would, of course, urge anyone with leiomyosarcoma to um, make sure that you have a conversation about all the treatments, including both the standard and potentially clinical trial options. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. And does anyone want to add to that? That's really very comprehensive. Thank you. I really. Um, okay. And our next question, Norma? Our next question comes from Mary C. Your line is open. Mary, check your mute button. Is this Mary Crawford? Yes, hi. And your question? Oh, yes. My question is about synovial sarcoma. Um, I was wondering if there are any specific trials or new treatment types, such as um, these T-cell therapies that you believe are the most promising right now. So synovial sarcoma, um, for um, uh, others who may not know as much about it, is uh, a, a sarcoma can arise anywhere in the body, often in the arms or the legs, or sometimes primarily in the chest. Um, in terms of standard therapies, just to make a comment, we actually do have a number of standard therapies that can have a, a really nice effect on, on uh, synovial sarcoma. It, it may sometimes be um, quite sensitive to, to uh, standard therapies such as doxorubicin, ifosamide, trobectidin. Um, uh, those are you know, just some of the, the potential therapies that your medical oncologist may, may reach for. One of the interesting facts about synovial sarcoma is that it's um, often charact it's characterized by what we call a, a translocation. So there's a genetic change in it, which which has, um, has maybe explained why some immunotherapy trials we've not seen as much of a response in, in synovial sarcomas, such as the checkpoint inhibitors. But we do know that on the surface of many synovial sarcomas that there is a, a protein, there's a little tag on the surface of many synovial sarcomas called NYESO1. And that's something that uh, researchers and uh, clinicians have been trying to target for a long time to see if that's uh, a particular uh, weak point of the synovial sarcoma. And uh, as you alluded, T-cell therapies trying to specifically target NYE, so are a really, really promising avenue for uh, um, the therapy of synovial sarcomas in the experimental or research clinical research setting. Um, there are other targets um, uh, that we're looking for as well uh, in synovial sarcoma. So I, I would urge you, if, if you're um, always thinking about clinical trials, one of the resources I refer people to is, is um, within 
actually an international resource, but it's www.clinicaltrials.gov. It's an, uh, um, a U.S. government website, uh, but it, you can go there and type in the, the type of sarcoma that you have, if there are any keywords you're interested in, and it will pull up a number of trials throughout the United States and also international sites and give you a sense of whether they're um, a currently recruiting uh, individuals or not, and that would be a place to look if you're interested in learning more about the T-cell therapies and whether that might be right for you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And do, Dr. Delaney, do you want to comment on this as well in terms of um, uh, clinical trials? or just No, I would just echo what uh, Dr. Miriam uh, mentioned about the clinicaltrials.gov uh, website. Very easy to use and uh, lists uh, trials from uh, around the world. It's a good resource. Oh, excellent. And we at the end of the program, well, actually, probably today being Friday, so on Monday, you'll be getting an evaluation form from us. And it's not just an evaluation form. It also includes all the um, any uh, recommendations for uh, other resources for you to get help. So we will actually add that as well to you uh, for all of you to have. Um, that's just a wonderful website to use um, in terms of getting information about clinical trials. Um, excellent. Wow. Good, good, good questions. These are great questions. Our next question, um, uh, Norma. Our next question comes from Monica W. Your line is open. Hi. Um, could you share uh, anything that you're aware of re with regard to status of research on efficacy of interventions to prevent recurrence of metastasized uterine sarcomas, such as aromatase inhibitors or other type of um, proactive interventions? So um, that's a, an excellent question. This is Dr. Merriam again. Uh, so, of course, we're always um, wanting to try to learn about whether there are any treatments that we could use after uh, surgery for a localized sarcoma. Um, there have been a number of clinical trials, not just in uterine sarcoma, but in general trying to address whether there's a role for chemotherapy following surgery to try to decrease the chance of the cancer coming back. Uh, that's, a, that's a controversial topic. I won't go into too much detail about that. But specifically for uterine sarcoma, um, there was, this is an, an ongoing um, uh, open question because there have been uh, some small studies which uh, in which people thought per perhaps giving chemotherapy after surgery or, or um, removal of the uterus for people who have, for example, a leiomyosarcoma that is contained within the uterus and it's high grade, whether that giving chemotherapy after may help decrease the risk of it um, showing up elsewhere in the body. And based on these small trials, there was not definite evidence that giving chemotherapy afterwards decrease the chance of it coming back. And so, in general, the standard is considered that observation is, is the appropriate um, for, in general, uh, approach for each individual. It may be a different conversation. And for some individuals, the lack of evidence is not the same as the proof of no effect. And so some individuals may wish to proceed with chemotherapy even without clear evidence of benefit. Um, the question about using aromatase inhibitors, I think would that would be something that um, would be more appropriate or that we typically think of when we're thinking about low-grade um, uh, leiomyosarcomas or potentially with endometrial stromal sarcomas. These are um, uh, cancers that have arisen in the uterus, and we're assuming we don't see it anywhere else. 
uh, that's something that uh, would be an important conversation to have with your oncologist because uh, this is a situation where um, it, your values and um, uh, really come into, into role as the data are not entirely clear. <clears throat> Thank you. And would any of the other speakers want to add to that? No, I think that was an excellent description. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Um, and um, I have a question, um, actually, um, for um, for Dr. Mullinex. Um, what is sure. limb salvage surgery, and how is it different from other surgeries? Sure, that's a good question. So, limb salvage surgery uh, sort of dates back to to data from the 1960s and 70s before the the discovery that radiation, in addition to surgery, could achieve equal outcomes to amputation. So prior to that data, it was felt that for extremity soft tissue sarcomas, amputation was the preferred surgical approach uh, to reduce the risk, obviously, of a local recurrence without without a limb being there um, for, for the recurrence. It, there's a seminal study which demonstrated that the addition of radiation therapy to a local tumor resection or resecting the tumor alone in a limb salvage uh, approach had equal outcomes. Um, and so the standard of care for the last 30 years has been um, certainly when possible to resect the disease in an extremity uh, without an amputation. And for those with large, high-grade soft tissue sarcomas, the addition of radiation therapy um, to, to decrease the risk of local recurrence and, and provide that same uh, outcome as, as would have been seen with an amputation. So the term limb salvage surgery just refers to the fact that um, certainly in, in any sarcoma center, uh, the, the preferred approach is, is to perform an operation that would certainly be oncologically sound or one that would rid the patient of the tumor in a safe way, but, but certainly with the, uh, the, the approach of, of saving that limb. This can often require reconst complex reconstruction, and that's why a team approach is helpful, whether it's an orthopedic oncologist or a plastic surgery team, um, to discuss how, how that limb might be reconstructed uh, for a, for an optimal functional uh, outcome after that resection. Thank you. Thank you. And Dr. Delaney, do you want to ask about the radiation treatment here? Or... Uh, no, just that uh, radiation treatment is <clears throat> often combined with limb salvage uh, surgery, as Dr. Mullinex uh, mentioned, and can allow the surgeon uh, to uh, use uh, narrower margins uh, around the tumor uh, while still maintaining, uh, maintaining uh, good rates of tumor control. And also, um, um, there's another question here about the role of radiation um, with um, in pain management, and if you could comment on that, um, Dr. Delaney, as well. And radiation therapy can be a very uh, useful tool for uh, managing pain, uh, particularly if you're in a situation where the sarcoma has uh, spread to uh, the bone, for example, or uh, if a tumor is uh, situated uh, near uh, a nerve, uh, then uh, radiation can be uh, quite effective uh, for that. The radiation schedules for treatment of pain are usually relatively short, uh, usually uh, treatment courses uh, on the order of uh, one to two weeks of uh, treatment, um, generally associated with relatively modest uh, side effects, and most patients start to get pain relief uh, a week or so after the start of the treatment. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, we also have a question, which um, perhaps might really apply to all of our speakers, but what lifestyle changes are required when dealing with a sarcoma diagnosis and subsequent treatment? Does anyone want to start with that one? 
Dr. Miriam, do you want to? Well, I would say that um, my general uh, my general approach is I think of I want to try to use any treatments that I have to help make your life better, and so if in terms of lifestyle modifications, I, I would I w I'm not looking for ways that I can. Um, decrease your quality of life. I think that all of our tools, we're looking at ways that we can make your life better. So you know, that may be uh, that we are from um, my, my area, from medications, we're modifying a dose, we're modifying a schedule of a treatment. We may be looking at all of our colleagues that help, like social work, nutrition, um, there are, uh, here where I work, we have a center where they do acupuncture, they do massage, uh, yoga, um, so all those sorts of, of uh, supports, I think, are really important to help people to make, um, you know, to, to make their days great. And so I, I would say I would just you know, f make sure that your people ask often about nutrition. I generally tell people eating a, a healthy diet. I don't think that there's there's no data behind following an extreme diet of of one sort or another uh, is beneficial, and so um, you know I would I would hope to try to decrease any any impact that our therapies might have on on your life. Well, thank you. Thank you. And does anyone want to add to that as well? Uh, this is Dr. Delaney. I can just uh, make a comment. Uh, many patients who are treated for sarcomas arising in the in the legs, uh, which is the most common site uh, where these tumors arise, can have uh, good or excellent function of the uh, the, the leg uh, after treatment. For some patients whose tumor is in close proximity to the bone, uh, we sometimes will suggest modification of uh, of physical activity to to, to lower impact uh, activities. For uh, example, if the portion of the bone has to be removed or a plate has to be placed on the bone, but many patients, if the uh, tumor is just involving the muscle, uh, we have radiation techniques to reduce the dose to the bone, and uh, many patients will have quite quite good function uh, afterwards. Well, that's really very reassuring to hear. It's really important for our colleagues to be aware of. Thank you. Um, um, and Dr. Malnix, do you want to add anything as well? Or? Yeah, certainly. I mean, with with a surgical resection, no matter the location, there's a period of of uh, recovery involved, and and the extent of that recovery is is something that, as I said, should really be discussed at length uh, before your resection at that consultation with the surgeon. If it's an extremity sarcoma, oftentimes the the activity limitation is is uh, fairly easily rendered with appropriate physical therapy and occupational therapy uh, for abdominal and pelvic or, or thoracic or chest wall uh, masses. That recovery may be a little bit more intense, and certainly the inpatient uh, recovery may be, may be longer as well. Um, I don't think, though, if, if the question was, is there, are there any lifestyles such as um, you know, nutritional changes um, or a different diet with a diagnosis, I don't think that there's um, really much data that that's the case. Certainly any, like, like all other uh, health care recommendations of eating a balanced diet and getting plenty of exercise, those things are important uh, with a diagnosis of soft tissue sarcoma, but specifically relative to the resection, those are things uh, that we refer to as the morbidity after surgery, and some of those can be predicted and discussed uh, in that preoperative setting. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and Ashley, um, so then there is a question about um, someone asking uh, one of the online participants if um, a, if they have um, a sarcoma, does that mean that their children or grandchildren could have um, a sarcoma? So is that... Um, um, 
I mean, I can I can take that. Yeah, I think sure. the, yes. the question about hereditary uh, hereditary malignancies is is one that is complex. I think that the 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 chance that that sarcoma in a, in a family that has otherwise no family history, the chance that that is hereditary is quite small. Um, those families that have a hereditary or inherited predilection for malignancies, there are inherited genes that, that can uh, result in, in soft tissue sarcoma, and certainly those can be passed on, but those conditions are quite rare, and, and they are, are generally not subtle in the family tree. And so, um, I, as I said, in the absence of other family members or a strong family history of others with soft tissue sarcoma, the likelihood of that uh, being passed on uh, is quite low. But, but an appropriate family history at diagnosis is really key um, to understand what other family members have had malignancies and what types of malignancies, because uh, certainly with sarcoma, we have a very low threshold for referring patients to a genetic counselor who can then uh, map the family tree and decide what uh, subsequent um, uh, germline testing may be appropriate. And so that family history is really crucial, um, a component to answer that question. Excellent. Um, and and there's just one last question. Just right in front of me. <laughs> just a second. I was gonna. Um, so in terms of um, the, the the online question was actually. Um, so will I need rehabilitation after the surgery? And also, I think there is also this term that people are using as prehab before surgery. Um, so um, could comment on that as well, or before treatment in general. Yeah, sure. I think that's an excellent question. Um, the the rehab post uh, post op is is certainly applicable to most patients that have a large extremity uh, soft tissue sarcoma resected. Um, the majority of patients that have an abdominal uh, or retroperitoneal uh, resection do not need any formal uh, rehab uh, post operatively uh, outside of the inpatient stay. Um, and, and the term prehab is, is a newer term um, that's been associated with protocols that might also be referred to as ERAS or expedited recovery after surgery, which has been certainly a hot topic in other uh, cancer-related resections. Um, the unique aspect to soft tissue sarcoma is that essentially no two operations are the same, which is unlike many other malignancies. And so having a standardized pathway has, been, has proven to be difficult uh, uh, for most of us who, who take care of these, these tumors because every operation is really quite different and unique. Um, the prehab idea, though, is, is sort of what I referred to earlier with proper nutrition and exercise. Obviously, with if you have medical conditions such as diabetes and hypertension, having appropriate control of those, uh, of those comorbidities is important as, as your surgical outcome will be much improved, certainly in the case of diabetes, with appropriate blood sugar control. Um, and these are things that, are, that we consider modifiable. If you've had a history of, of, of heart attacks or a stroke or something such as that, that certainly can't be modified. But those medical comorbidities that you can modify um, should be done. You know, should certainly be done if, if possible before surgery. Thank you. Anyone else want to add to that? Or well, I want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants who have really asked such great questions, and all of you who've been listening as well. Um, and um, this is an hour program, and so in keeping with that, uh, 
um, concept of an hour. Um, I'd like to just um, actually thank you all. And I know that um, some of you still may have questions, or even if you did ask a question, you still may have a follow-up question. Or So um, first of all, I do want to um, suggest that you actually take what you've learned today on the program back to treating healthcare team because they know you the best. They know every detail about your care, and, of course, they're really good to run things by. We also all know that you like to go to um, – uh, other websites that are very credible. We really recommend going to credible web websites for for additional information. So you have been given um, the uh, clinicaltrials.gov, and you'll be getting that in your materials um, after today's program. And we also, of course, recommend that you contact um, the four sarcoma organizations, and you'll be getting more information about them, actually, um, after the program as well. But they're listed in all the materials about this program. Um, I also um, want to mention that, um, uh, you know, if for those of you who want to pursue getting any services from Cancer Care, that you can simply call us at 1-800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org where you can post a question or concern. Um, so that's really good for everyone on the call, um, depending on your preferences. We do have a number of programs coming up that may be of interest to you, and you'll be getting materials about those. You'll be getting information about upcoming programs. So um, I do want to thank you all for being on the call today. I do want to remind you that we do not want any one of you to leave this call feeling that you're alone, although it is tempting often, and it often is quite normal to feel alone in, in coping with uh, soft tissue sarcoma, with any type of cancer or sarcoma. Um, that is a normal feeling. Um, but just please tuck away that you do have access to many organizations that can help you, in addition to your healthcare team, which your healthcare team consists of so many different people, um, different specialties, um, and um, but also um, many organizations that specialize in just providing um, support and, and information to you as well. So I want to thank you all and wish you all a very fine day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.